Okay, I've told this story to, to you and from the pulpit before. I'm going to tell you the story again, only because I'm sure it's been forgotten. Uh, it was just after I'd become a Christian. So I was in my uh, early 20s, and I was out at the time with, let's say, I think it was about 10 of my uh, Christian friends. We were out during the day, and we could not understand why every door was closing in our face. Uh, the plan had been to go and play snooker. Uh, so we jumped in the cars, we went into town, uh, we parked the cars, we go to the snooker hall, only to find that the pool hall, inexplicably, uh, was closed. Uh, so what do we do? We walk, the ten of us, round the corner to the local YMCA, and the snooker tables were not as good, but we thought, well, at least we'll get a game there, uh, only to find that there was a big meeting on in the YMCA, couldn't get in there either. And we go to visit uh, one of our friends. Guess what? Our friend wasn't in. And you can maybe begin to imagine how frustrating this was for this big uh, group of guys. You couldn't understand why everything we were doing of it was turning out like we planned. So what do we do? Well, at this point, one of the guys suggests we go and visit one of our other friends. Now, this was a guy who had been away at university. A guy we hadn't seen in a long time. And the thing was, he lived away out in the sticks in a farm. So at least we'd get a boost in the cars up to see him. So, and we jump, we get into the cars, we go out into this country road for miles up to this farm. I'm chosen to go up and ring the bell. I wonder if you remember the story. Remember what happens next? Our friend's father comes to the door, opens the door. A shock etched upon his face. You see... Earlier that morning, the guys who were supposed to be working on the farm had all, to man, phoned in sick. And this was bad, bad news. Because this was the day that all the sheep in the farm were supposed to be rounded up and sent away. And just as that family in the farm were beginning to panic, what happens? The doorbell goes, they open it, and here are ten guys twiddling our thumbs with nothing better to do for the afternoon than round up some sheep. So you can imagine... How we laughed. Although we didn't see it. Though we had no idea about it. We talked about it and we realized, well, hang on. God had a plan for us that afternoon. God had a plan for what we were supposed to be doing. What do you think of when I say that story to you? Do you think, that guy's really naive. Do you think, that's just a, a strange coincidence, man. Or do you maybe think, no, no, hang on. Actually, God does, on occasion, God does work like that. God does use things, orchestrate things. Which way do you think? Well, tonight, the subject that we're going to turn our attention to is the subject of God's providence. His sovereign activity. His sovereign involvement in the life of his people. That's our subject this evening. And I look at the points tonight. Perhaps we will also address three very common misconceptions that Christians make about how God is at work in our lives. So providence, God's sovereign activity. So let's look to 1 Samuel chapter 9, shall we? 1 Samuel 9, 1 Samuel 10. The first thing that we need to notice here, I think, is that God's planning is... A reality. God's planning is a reality. Okay, what, 
What's that expression that we use for people who are born into money? What do we say about it? What's that expression? They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And we sometimes use that expression. Do we? Do you not think that was maybe true of this man that we're dealing with tonight, Saul, in the tribe of Benjamin? Did you notice what we're told? Do you notice how he's introduced to you in verse 1? Like, not only is his lineage extended to you in a very dramatic, elaborate way, but also the riches are underlined. Did you see that? We're told that Saul's dad... He was, a, he, was a, he was a man of, of wealth. Now, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, good on you, Saul's dad. Good on you, Kish. Because despite the fact that he's obviously a man of money, what does he do? Still kicks his son out to work. Isn't he? Because what happens here? It's a disaster for the family. The donkeys, all the donkeys have gone missing. The donkeys have gone lost. So what does Kish do? Kicks his son out. He says, right, you, you go and look. You get on the hunt for these donkeys. Now, if you followed the reading, you'll see that initially to start with, it's a bit of a fruitless search, isn't it? So you've got Saul and a servant, and they're looking everywhere for the donkeys, oh, through Ephraim, through Shalisha, and they can't, can't find the donkeys anywhere. And it gets to the point where they're about to give up completely. When do you notice what happens? You've got no Saul, no Saul, but Saul's servant suggests, let's go and ask this man of God. And Saul's thinking, well, why, why, what have we got to lose? So guided by some women that they meet who are gathering water, do you see that there's this climactic moment in the book of Samuel where Saul, he comes face to face with Samuel, the prophet of the Lord. Now, hear this. If we don't get our heads round... Verses 15 and 16. We will stumble around in the darkness, I promise you, here. So let's look at, honestly, verse 15 and 16 is the crux of this. So I'll, I'll just pause. I'll give you a second to find it, and we'll look at it. So Samuel saw come face to face. Now listen. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel. Now look what, now let's think about this. What does God say? Says to Samuel, tomorrow, about this time, I'm going to send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. Now, I wonder, do you see why that's important? See what that tells us? Despite the fact that Saul is none the wiser, Saul has got no clue about it. Despite that, see, all that he has experienced these days, it was planned by God, wasn't it? Then God is saying to Samuel, what I'm about to do is take this man all the way from where he is, and I'm going to take him all the way to you, this man Saul. What does that mean? That means that everything that Saul endured, now think about that, the lost donkeys, the, the trek through the sort of wilderness and the lostness of it all, and even the idea of the servant, even that, the idea to ask the man, every single part of it, it was all what? It must have been. It was all prompted. It was all organized. It was all orchestrated by God. Now, I think what that does, it takes you and me to the first misconception uh, that we can have about providence. Because, uh, humor me for a minute. Let me, uh, let me tell you how I used to think about providence. I used to think that, see the stuff that we're dealing with there, the fact that God's clearly involved in a person's life and organizing and planning things. I used to think, well, yeah, that happens in the Bible. 
And it maybe happens for missionaries in, in Africa, but it doesn't happen to me, and it doesn't happen to ordinary Christians. You see it, the God, you know, really planning, orchestrating people's lives. Yeah, it happens. It even happens to Saul, it did. You know, it happened to Jonah, it happened to Mary, it happened to missionaries, but, but not for us. Like, not for you, not for me. I used to think that God was actually, he'd take a step back and just let us get on with things. Now, if, if you were thinking like that as a Christian tonight, do you know what I could do? Like, I could point you to some really obvious and well-known verses, couldn't I? I could maybe, like, chuck, chuck, sort of, you know, Romans 8.28 at you, and we'll come back to that later on. Tell you what I want to do. I want to give you an alternative. Here's a verse for you tonight. Grab it. This is Proverbs 20.24. Now, listen to this. All man's steps are directed by the Lord. Your steps, a man's steps... Directed by God. Now, do you see what that means? Instead of in your life tonight, God is actually taking a step back and letting you get on with it. What does that mean? That actually means that the Lord, sovereign God, he's coordinating your life. He is actually this evening involved, orchestrating, planning your existence. (laughs) Tell you what, let me just push that two different ways. Now, listen... First here, think about this. God is involved even in the mundane elements of your life. See, how do we often think about providence? I think we're maybe guilty of this as well. We think, okay, maybe God is involved in my life. He's involved in the big stuff. You know, the career that I'm going to, and what city I'm going to live in. He's, in the, he's involved in the big stuff. Okay, oh, I will maybe accept that. But see the little stuff? God's not really kind of bothered but you know the people that i'm going to meet this week and and, you know going to pick up the kids from school god God, he'll deal with the big stuff he'll not deal with the little stuff now i say to you what about first samuel chapter 9 what does he use missing donkeys i mean from the point of view of the ancient world you don't get much more mundane than that this is farm stuff. This is boring stuff. Missing donkeys. Do you see it? God is so concerned for you that he's involved even in the ordinary things of your existence. Then let's push, push it the other way. I said two things. Let's push it the other way. Listen, God is even involved in your lostness. I wonder if that's how you feel as a Christian this evening. Is there an element of that? Is that an apt description of your life? Do you feel, as a Christian, do you feel lost? You don't know where you are. Don't know where you're going. Don't know what direction to take. Oh, think about Saul. Like, imagine how he'd have felt wandering through the barrenness of Shalisha, wandering through the wilderness of Ephraim, wondering, what on earth am I doing here? Now, what's the lesson there? Don't get it wrong. The lesson is not that God will take us out of our lostness. That's not what we see with Saul. What do we see? The lesson is that God uses Saul's lostness as part of the plan that he has for Saul's life. He uses the lostness. Do you see the the lesson here? Do you see it? No matter how lost, directionless you feel tonight... You know, if you're a Christian, 
that God is working in your life and working in providential care. What's the planning of God? What's the first one? It's a reality. It's a reality. Okay, second thing we see here is that the planning of God is also merciful. It is merciful. Um, Some parts of the world really pride themselves on the welcome, the warm welcome that they give to strangers. My friends from Mississippi are always buying that drum. They're always talking about southern hospitality. But the same, I've got people in Scotland saying, you know, talking to me, you've got southern hospitality, but the people in Inverness will talk about highland uh, hospitality. So everyone pays themselves in a warm welcome uh, they give to visitors. Sounds like, looks like, uh, that was certainly the case for Samuel. Now, do you see what happens here? So, God brings to Samuel this man that Samuel's waiting for. Saul arrives, what does Saul, uh, Samuel do? He rolls out the red carpet for him. You notice that? Like he gives him uh, the pride of, you know, the place of honor at the banquet. There's lots of great foods coming Saul's way that day. He's even given accommodation for the night. Now, what does that honor, this is what I'm hoping happens anyway, what does the honor do for you? Does it not remind you of the context? What did we look at two weeks ago? What happened? What's the last chapter about? Do you remember the great context, the big picture here? What happened? The people of Israel came to God and asked for a king. They came to Samuel, didn't they? Do you remember? They came and said, do away with the judges. We want a king. What sort of king? Do you remember? A king like the other nations had. Do you remember there was this in the previous chapter, in the context, there was this great rejection of God. The people sinned. They, they, they wanted to be like everyone else, rejecting God's rule over them. And who's Saul? Who's Saul? Saul is the king. Saul is God's chosen, appointed king. Now, here we go. This is where we get to it. When you think about the context, now when you think about this great, almighty rejection of God by the people, isn't it stunning what God promises to do in this chapter through Saul? Now let me direct you to it, because it's remarkable. Look at verse 17. It's the first one. Verse 17 of chapter 9. Now remember, they have called for a king. They want to be like everyone else. Now what does God say that Saul's going to do through God's power? He will, look, look at it. He will restrain the people. Think of that. Come on. That even though they reject God, even though they've, they've turned against God, even though they've sinned, God is saying, through this man, I'm going to work for your good. Through this man, I'm going to stop you sliding further into disobedience. Do you see it? I mean, I, the mercy there. But I want to give you another one. So you do this with me. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Verse 1 of chapter 10. So Samuel privately sort of anoints Saul. And what does God say? What's he going to do? He's going to get Saul to... Come on, read that. Save the people from their enemies. Now I'm sitting here, and even in sermon preparation this week, you know, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm scratching my head. And I'm just bowled over by the mystery of that. Like these people have been wicked, haven't they? They've been evil. They've rejected the rule of God. And what does God say there? 
I'm going to love you. I'm going to pour out love on you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to show you mercy. I think that takes us to a second misconception about providence. Because don't we sometimes think like this, friends? Don't we sometimes think that the positive involvement of God in our lives, it changes when we sin? Don't you think like that sometimes? You know, we fall back into really terrible, sinful habits and we ignore God in our spiritual lives completely and we begin to doubt and our faith begins to waver and what do we think God's going to do? We think that that promise to, to work for our good oh, is going to change that and that suddenly God is going to he's going to turn against us. Don't we think like that? That he's, he's, he's going to actually work against us. Well, that is not what you see before you in Holy Scripture, is it? What happens here? These people, they sin, they make a terrible mistake and God says, I am going to show you mercy and I am going to show you grace. Friends, do you see the lesson there? God's care for you is not based on the constancy of your zeal for Him or the constancy of your love for Him. What is God's care based on? Your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are His beloved children. You are His people. So what is God going to do in His mercy? He's going to cover you in love. Now, time for the warning. One of the writers in this portion of Scripture makes an awesome point. He says, just because there is great mercy in First Samuel, it should not lead to a lax attitude towards sin. Do you, do you understand? Do you see what he's getting at? We see here God's beautiful, tender mercy and love towards his people. And what could we say? We could say, well, if he's going to show his love, we'll just act any way we want. If he's just going to plan things for our good, then, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to sin. I'm going to go out and enjoy myself. And you see as a Christian tonight that it cannot and it must not be like this. If you look at this and you see mercy here tonight from God, surely we praise him, right? Don't we praise him for what Romans 8, 28 doesn't say? What does it not say? It doesn't say that God works for the good of those who are flawless. It doesn't say that God works for the good of those who, whose, whose faith never wavers or never fails. What is it? God works for the good of those who love him. God works for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Do you see? I can say to you tonight that God is involved in your life as a Christian. But I can say more. That involvement flows from a fountain of tender mercy and love. third thing, the last thing that we see here is that God's planning involves you. So God's planning is a reality. God's planning is merciful, but God's planning involves you, Christian friends. Okay, have you ever been told a piece of news? Snippet of news blown your mind. Somebody takes you aside, whispers something into your ear, that is so remarkable that you cannot quite believe what you're hearing. Don't you think? It must have been like that for Saul. One minute, here's a guy who's been kicked out by his dad to go and find the farm animals. 
the next, he's been told that God wants him to be the king over all of Israel. So I'm thinking this is blowing Saul's mind. Now, because of that, there was surely the danger that Saul is not believing a word of this. Do you think so? He's going to doubt. Yeah, right, you're, you know, you're having me on here. So what God does, again out of grace, is he confirms the message. And he gives Saul assurance that what Samuel has told him is true. Now there's three assurances. First one is that he's going to meet two men who are going to confirm what Saul already suspects that his dad's worried about. So that's the first assurance. Second assurance, he's going to meet three people who are on their way to worship God and are going to give him some bread. Okay, that's your second assurance. Do you know all of the attention... All of the attention is on the third confirmation from God. This is where the spotlight is on Scripture. So I would again, we're closing with this, so I would ask you to look at it. It's in verse 5 of chapter 10. The third confirmation that this is true. So Saul's told he's going to meet this band of prophets. And they're going to be singing, and they're going to be dancing, they're going to be prophesying. And what's going to happen? Verse 6. At this point, look, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon Saul. And he too, from nowhere, is going to begin prophesying. He too is going to begin announcing, proclaiming the Word of God. That's dangerous, I think. This is important. Listen, don't mistake that for a work of regeneration. Isn't that the temptation for us? We read in the Bible, oh, the Spirit's at work. What do we conclude? He's been born again. You know, hallelujah, work of regeneration. And it is not that. Elsewhere in Scripture, this idea here of the Holy Spirit rushing upon a person doesn't mean regeneration. It means rushing upon a person means a person is being prepared for a specific work of Almighty God. So do you see this idea in this chapter that Saul is changed by God? Doesn't mean regeneration, something like that. It actually means that he has been prepared, readied for the specific task of becoming, becoming king. And I think that leads us to the last, third, last misconception eh, tonight. Friends, is there anyone who's heard the name Emmanuel Lasker? Emmanuel Lasker, you heard that name? He's no theologian or anything like that, so you're off the hook. Emmanuel uh, Lasker was a chess player. In fact, he was a chess world champion. In fact, he was more than that. This was a guy who was world chess champion for 27 years on the trot. And he was a man, Emmanuel Lasker, who was renowned for his cold, calculated strategy when he was playing the game. That sounds familiar. Isn't that how so many people regard God? Isn't it? Even within the church. That yeah, maybe God is involved in my life. But it's just in an impersonal type of way. In a cold way. A calculated way. Just moving his people around this great divine chessboard that he has in the sky. See, that is not the testament of Holy Scripture. And it's not what you see in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. I mean, God does not just take Saul and install him as king. What does he do? He works. 
He involves Saul. He's active in Saul's life. He's actually changing people. And that enables me to say to you tonight that God is not just involved in your life. He's not just planning your life. Do you know what he's doing? He's equipping you to fulfill his wonderful purposes. I think, honestly, that's got to mean more to us than it does. In fact, I think tonight that should drive you and, and me to pray. And I'm asking you, would you actually do that with me this coming week? That we plead with God about his plans, the plans that he has for our lives. Would you do that? Plead with him that he actually works in us, works mightily through us, that he builds us up, that he trains us, that he matures us. We plead with him that he would equip us for great acts of service for his great name. And we end like this. Saul, as you know, if you know your Bible, was a mess. He was one great failure as a king. But what would God do in his grace? He would send someone into the world who would be no failure. Someone who would enable God to justly show mercy and grace to his people. In Jesus of Nazareth, who do we see? We see a king unlike Saul. A king who did not stumble around in the darkness looking for donkeys. But a king who was justly able to ride a donkey into Jerusalem as the very Messiah of God. And a king who was able to meet a woman gathering water. And what was he able to do? He was able to offer her the water of life. And a king unlike Saul who will one day sit at the place of honor. The heavenly banquet with you, with his people. Friends, God is at work in your life. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't it? But he is at work in your life for the glory of that great and better king. He's at work through you for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray.